This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. As most of you probably know, I am fascinated with the opportunities for each of us in the world of augmented and virtual reality. How will it change science? How will it change medicine? How will it change history? How will it change or enhance our interpersonal relationships? How will it change our world around us? Hopefully for the better, for human flourishing. But it comes with risks, in some cases, significant risks, in particular to the social interaction and dynamic and communications. Well, I invited a friend of mine, Annie Eaton, who's CEO of a company called Futurist, to come onto the show and help us to understand the opportunities. What is the technology? How is it developing? And what are some of the impacts and risks that she and others like her are working through as this technology comes at us full force. It's an amazing conversation. Annie is an exceptional person, and I know you'll enjoy it. So please join us for the conversation on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Three, two, one. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You have so many cool tchotchkes around. Uh, you know, I, I have at home hundreds and hundreds of board games. I'm not sure how we ended up just on this set and this nerd things, but um, yeah. Welcome. Maybe maybe afterwards we can go do some dirt biking or some disc golfing disc or golfing. Uh, board games or anime or yeah, nerd city. I don't want to go back into the army. That'd probably be a bad day. Oh, gosh. Well, welcome. You survived Atlanta traffic to get up here first thing in the morning. I did. I did. Um, yeah, it was way smoother than I was expecting. I got here all too early. Right. But. It's all right. We're all good. So we're going to talk today about an idea, I think, or technology that could get, on the one hand, everybody thinks they know what it is. And on the other hand, I'm not sure those of us that aren't either kind of raised in it as gamers or in it as a developer or a evangelist for it, really understand what it is. Of course, that's virtual reality, augmented reality. I'm not sure I even know what reality is. We'll come back to that. But before we get started, how do we avoid acronyms? When I was preparing for this conversation, Annie, I think only the military uses more acronyms. <laughs> How do you guys do that? It's It's been difficult. I'm not going to lie. It's been very difficult over the years, especially because they keep changing. So I got into the industry in the 2013-2014 time frame where just VR, virtual reality, was the word. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I, I learned a little bit more about augmented reality over the next couple of years beyond that. But then uh, something called mixed reality or MR was introduced. And I'm not... 100% sure where the origin of that was, but it seemed to align quite significantly with the Microsoft HoloLens. Uh, and I think they latched onto that term and tried to make it their term for whatever this reality is right. that they are trying to produce. And they defined that one as uh, a, an overlay of, of digital information onto the physical world, but that was mapped to your environment. So the device can see tables and walls and pretty much everything in 3D and place objects directly onto those surfaces mm. where originally AR through your phone couldn't really do that or right. augmented reality through your phone. So they called it mixed reality. 
But in my mind, that's still augmented reality. Yeah. So they they kind of ended up being the only ones to use that term. And then Magic Leap, which is another wearable device, came out and started calling it spatial computing. They didn't even have an acronym for that one. But yet again, it is one more uh, uh, term that we have to remember. So shortly after all of this terminology soup that was around, um, extended reality or XR started to become popular. I think it's still probably one of the more popular rising terms today. I personally like it because it encompasses everything and it's not exclusive to one technology or the other. It's just all of the um, extensions of reality. And so XR is personally my favorite. But uh, virtual reality is probably what you see the most. Right. Uh, and, and that could be anything from a PC virtual reality system like the Valve Index uh, to the PlayStation VR, which they're coming out with a second uh, Are model these all soon. devices or are they software? So, so you mentioned the HoloLens all, mm-hmm. and these, are, what are these? Everything um, that I mentioned is a device. So it's okay. a physical piece of hardware you can purchase. Okay. Um, and they run various software programs, kind of like apps. Uh, and the problem with that, though, is, is none of them are cross-compatible. Right. So as a producer and developer, it gets to be very complicated, especially if you want to support multiple devices. Right. Um, but right now, the majority of our work is targeting the MetaQuest 2 right. uh, because they've sold over 11 million units, and they are by far the most popular. And The MetaQuest 2? What's yes. the MetaQuest 2? So it was called the Oculus Quest. Ah, uh, okay. All right. I'm trying to be good and right. call it right. what sure. it's supposed to Why be not? called. It's it's a hard shift, though, because I've been calling it Oculus for like eight years now, and now they want to be meta. You know how you can really, or how I got freaked out the other day, I saw somebody driving down the road in their Tesla wearing an Oculus. Oh, and no. I felt like this probably isn't a great idea. In the driver's seat? I, I can neither confirm or oh, deny. Goodness. Doesn't that seem... Uh, a little. I uh, do not approve that. <laughs> not safe. Do not try that at home. <laughs> it seemed uh, less virtual and more. Uh, anyway, um, so these are all devices. Yes. So they are all devices. I guess if, if you really want to differentiate, the two you need to know are mm-hmm. augmented reality and virtual reality. Okay. Almost everything falls into one of those two buckets. Uh, and with augmented reality, uh, the, it is an overlay of digital information onto the physical world. So you can still see everything around you, right. either through a wearable device, a phone, or a tablet. Uh, and then with virtual reality, you're completely occluded in a virtual reality headset. Mm. Um, and and all the content you're seeing is typically in 3D, 360 degrees. You can look around and see all around you. And uh, that that's basically delivered on both ends via an mm-hmm. app or web or any sort of program that you'd run on those devices. When I think of augmented reality, the first thing I imagine is that movie Minority Report mm-hmm. where he's running around his world and he's got these overlays of, you know, when he goes to the mall, here's here's an overlay of we've got this sun sale, welcome back, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is that a right way to think of that? That is, yes. So what you'd see in Minority Report, also what you might uh, think of as what Iron Man sees with his special glasses, all of that is the promise of what augmented reality could do someday. A lot of that is still far off, especially, and this is something I'm worried about, uh, personally personally delivered ads in AR directly into your line of sight, wherever you go. I feel like there's going to just be a lot of noise there and 
putting controls into place there will have to be defined at some point. You know, you just terrified me. I'm thinking of, I walk around with two phones. Yeah. My personal phone gets way less spam than my work phone. Hmm. But because I keep my work phone on silent, I don't notice it that much. But probably 30 calls a day I get on, you know, all the same things that everybody else does. Oh, vehicle warranty or a you've won the thing, call us back, or, you know, the Social Security Administration has a problem with something <laughs> or whatever. I can't even imagine if I have, you know, if if the device that I'm using moves from this into a wearable and I'm using it for, you know, I'm driving down the road and I want my the windshield of my car to be my device, for example, and I've got this great heads-up display. Mm -hmm. We already see some of that coming but in vehicle collusion warning and all of these other things, like, and you can imagine all these great things that um, uh, you could tune your information for. Where's the building I'm going for? Here's the name of it to uh, spam information that I just don't want to receive. And these aren't that great in filtering that right now. No, and You're terrifying me. Yeah, I, I, well, sorry to terrify you, but it is inevitable. <laughs> We've just that, started the conversation. I know we're getting dark real quickly. Uh, I mean, it is inevitable though because it's happened with these devices. It happened with email spam. It happens as soon as a technology advances to the point where there is mass adoption. Right. Someone's gonna find a way to spam you. Right. Um, it's so it's thinking now about what practices could be put in place to help alleviate that later. I know with a lot of the privacy laws that are going into place around the world and mm. some in the U.S., uh, you'll probably see more and more of that because it will be a good foundation for preventing something like that when it's really in your line of sight directly to your brain. You don't even have to pick up a device. It's, you know, eventually in your glasses or contact lens mm. even. So how does... What I don't understand is how does virtual reality work? Like I get the idea of what it is. Mm -hmm. In this case, you're going to put on a device. It's going to immerse you into a virtual world. And so through your interface and through, and we'll talk about those in a minute, and through your whatever, you know, the way you look, what you say, what you choose to do or manipulate with your hands, you know, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to move and experience this virtual world. How does the, how does the backend technology work? It seems like um, that takes a tremendous amount of computer power. And when, when we think of virtual reality that we're thinking of today, when did that become sort of standardized or normal? Is that a is that a new thing? Is it a 50-year-old thing? So the very early iterations of VR go back to the 1950s, 60s, even some say before that. Uh, but what I would consider the new age of VR or what consumers are used to today would probably be upon the release of the Oculus Quest in 2019. Um, it was a device that you didn't need a computer for, but mm. allowed you to have six degrees of freedom. So when you think about uh, the pivot point of a phone, you have three degrees of freedom because you can kind of flip it around. There's some games that use that uh, that feature, the accelerometer and gyroscope in your phone to control things. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about that is that you can get motion tracking, but you're not moving along the Z plane. So you're not moving forward and backwards if you keep your head still and you don't, um, it's hard to, hard to explain over a podcast, but uh, moving your head uh, forward and backwards without actually moving it, so just moving along this other plane that mm. is in three-dimensional space, 
that's not typically tracked. Uh, you can't really track that unless you're using GPS or something like that. Right. So when Oculus uh, released their Quest headset, it had cameras on the headset. You didn't have to set up any external tracking. You didn't have to plug it into a computer. It came out at a price point around $300, which is crazy because uh, every other one before that... <coughs> was about like $1,000, some mm. some more. Mm. And so when you think about the affordability and the ability to comfortably move throughout your space in VR, I think that's when consumers were like, oh, okay, it's ready for me. Uh, that <clears throat> is continuing to evolve. Uh, so I wouldn't even say we're like at where, where it could be. Mm. Uh, but I think once people like my dentist, for example, bought a, bought a Quest and I'm like, you bought a Quest? That's amazing. <laughs> when you hear people that you weren't expecting buy the Quest, right. uh, I think that's like where we kind of reach that point of, oh, it is here and people can use it and enjoy it. Right. I, I you, As you're describing that, I was thinking of cell phones. I remember long before your time, the, the first people that had a cell phone, like you'd walk around saying, why do you got to call somebody? There, there was the ones that, you know, uh, there are people of a certain age that are in horror thinking about that now, but um, why would I spend that kind of money? Who am I going to call? I don't want people calling me in the middle of the day. <laughs> when they became affordable, mm -hmm. really affordable, um, what, you know, and they weren't uh, smartphones at the time, all of a sudden, everybody, had, it seemed like it was overnight, even though they had been there for, gosh, probably 10 or 15 years. We called them car phones. We didn't call them mobile phones at the time. They were installed initially in your car. Then later, uh, as a sales guy, I got a uh, what they called a bag phone, and I could take it around and plug it into my uh, lighter, and I'd hang the antenna out uh, the window up on the roof. And mm, this, you know, it increased productivity. And I only used it for work calls, I'm sure. Um, and all of a sudden, though, it became, it switched from being a business tool to becoming a, a consumer product because it was so affordable. And then the app store came out and the rest is history. I wonder if it's not dissimilar to that. Right. Well, because the, the price point, especially previously for decades, the only industries that have been able to afford to use it are military and medical. Mm. And so once that shifts and other industries can take advantage of it. Uh, it 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 just kind of rolls out from there, mm. and you see it kind of just trickle down into the general public, which is very cool to see. Especially being in it for so long at this point. When I got in it, the Kickstarter for Oculus had just kind of closed and deployed those devices, and that was the first device we were using, and it was only affordable or. The only people who wanted to invest in it were corporations who wanted to be innovative and really see what the tool could provide to them. Mm -hmm. And then it it uh, we got into consumer gaming a couple of years ago because we finally saw with the quest that inflection point that people need content to be able to continue to advance this technology. And so it's it's been interesting serving a, a corporate m market as well as a consumer market. It's very challenging to think about it in both ways, but it's been nice because I've gotten to see it from both sides. When you said we, is that your company? My company, yeah. yeah. When you first, what was, when you first put that headset on <coughs> and you first began to experience it, what was your, some people experience nausea, Some usually for just a little while. Sometimes it just doesn't work. But what was your first experience? 
So I was a little bit nauseous. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Uh, and it was because the Kickstarter version of the Oculus Quest or the Oculus uh, Rift, not Quest, mm-hmm. was only three degrees of freedom. A lot of the earlier VR headsets would only do three degrees of freedom, meaning you couldn't move forward and backward with your body without, uh, and your vision would not match what your physical body movement mm. was. And because of that, your brain is like, oh, something must be wrong. I'm going right. to throw up now. And so, <laughs> How uh, many times has my brain said that? Something must be wrong. <laughs> I'm going to throw up now. I mean, that's that's what happens. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and I think, so I, I had a, a wonderful uh, original CTO. He he always said it's like your body thinks it ingested poison, so it's going to try to expel it from your body, oh, wow. and that's why it happens. So. Right. I, I I didn't really fact check that, but <laughs> right. it sounds right. right. It sounds right. So uh, that first experience, it was a very calm experience. Um, I really didn't do much. I just sat in this 3D, 360 world, and it was hooked up to a very powerful computer. My uh, former CTO, he brought it into work. We worked at the same company at the mm-hmm. time and showed it to people, and I just was completely blown away by how transformative it was. It wasn't necessarily the best experience or the most comfortable experience, but I truly felt like I was there. And uh, from being in a marketing role prior to that, anytime you can show your consumers what the product is or, or take them somewhere without them physically having to go there, it's a win. So mm-hmm. I, I saw opportunities outside of gaming initially, how it could be applied. And that's kind of the, the inflection point for where my interest started. Mm. And so you saw that and said, I mean, what was your what's your background it's definitely not this. At least it wasn't. It is now. But I I went to Georgia Tech, uh, and I am not an engineer. So that's the first what? shock. I know. They have other degrees. I also <laughs> met somebody who went to Tech, and they got a law degree. Oh, and wow. I thought, there's so many. And then they ran through why Tech was such a great school to go get a... Uh, um, a law degree, and I was like, "All right, that rock, rock on." Yeah, they they do have other things. So right. I I will say I did apply as mechanical engineering. My dad mm-hmm. is a mechanical engineer. I'm just like that looks like a great career, and it is, but not for me. Right. So I changed my major uh, at freshman orientation, like the first week of school, and I moved it over to international affairs and modern languages, which is very different. I can appreciate your dad's heart palpitations. Oh, My gosh. daughter is uh, fine arts and Korean. I'm like, yes, this could be a great investment. And she reminds me every day it will be. So, okay. You can do it. You can do it. So I I did make the switch. I, I didn't 100% know what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but there were a couple of ideas. And so I went through school, finished that. I ended up moving and working into a company that did, uh, well, power plant services around the world. And Mm -hmm. I worked in international human resources, which I actually learned quite a bit. It's Mm. really good experience if you want to start your own company to work in HR, because Mm. you kind of see the whole of everything and and, uh, how a business works from that perspective. And then I wasn't really the happiest in HR. It's not really, you know, known for being the most exciting department. So I asked if I could move over to marketing and a position, like an entry-level position was open, and they said, yeah, you know the business, so if you want to use these skills here, you can. And I started working in that space. That's where I met uh, Peter, who was my co-founder mm-hmm. originally, and he uh, he brought in that headset, and that's where I saw it. 
And initially, we just tried to pitch it around internally because we're like, oh, this company could use this power plants around the world. Like, right. how do we show this in VR, which it would have been a great use <clears throat> case. They didn't go for it, unfortunately, mm. but maybe it was a good thing. <laughs> so I started looking for other jobs where I could use VR in some way and even interviewed at <clears throat> Oculus for a little while, uh, right around the time they had their Facebook acquisition. Mm. And so they put a hiring freeze that kind of fell down and down their radar. And I said, what can I do to put myself in a good position when hiring opens back up? And they said, get VR experience. And I'm like, it's 2014. There is no VR experience. Right. Like, where am I supposed to get this? And so Peter and I started a meetup group in Atlanta because he had the Kickstarter headset. We found a couple of other people via a message we put out on Reddit who also had it in the Atlanta area. We said, we're going to bring them to Battle and Brew, which is a gaming bar, and anyone can come and try it. Just give exposure to people, start conversations, and uh, get excited about it with other people in our community. And over 200 people showed up. We were not expecting that. Uh, meetup you know, you usually get like 10, 15 people to show up and 200 showed up. So we couldn't even fit people in the space. And I pretty much knew then I'm like, oh, people want this. And so just kept going with the meetup until people who attended the meetup started asking me how their companies could use VR. And I said, well, maybe I should pay you for, or charge you for this. Mm -hmm. And so I just started helping companies create use cases they uh, ended up starting to want prototypes beyond evaluating these use cases. I put together a development team and started making that. And then they kept wanting to evolve and grow and scale these AR VR products. And so I built a team to support that. And that's that's what happened. It's kind of crazy. We didn't go after any crazy investments or anything. Just built, snowballed, right. bootstrapped, whatever you want to call it. I wish when you get to a certain age and you look back at how successful your endeavor, I believe is going to be, would be based upon your intellect, your education, your work ethic. But what it's really going to be based upon, Annie, is that's such a rock star origin story. I got a person who got the Kickstarter thing to start a meetup in Reddit bam, all these people show up. Next thing you know, we got World of Warcraft. Like it, it's this, what a crazy, cool uh, story. It's like Steve and Steve meeting in a garage in the Bay Area with a box full of computer parts and going to swap meets and whatever. That's that's how the, the best stories start. Yeah, I mean, it's weird too because people are like, how do I start a company? And I'm like, I can't tell you that. <laughs> I, you can't really duplicate what I did, right. which is hard because I, I'm excited for anyone who wants to take the entrepreneurial journey. But if you do it, usually every single path is completely different. You know what they say? I'm sure you've heard it before. This is just another way to say it. Opportunity meets preparedness. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm... I, I didn't even know necessarily that I was prepared, but I had something that, I, of course, you had to have a work ethic. Of course, you had to have a certain intellect, at least to to be able to see things and to know what you were about and who you were and what you wanted to accomplish. It didn't have to be, all of the things didn't have to be defined, but the core things had to be there. And then it really had to capture your imagination. And as things came to you, huh, Maybe I could take advantage of this. Maybe I could take advantage of this. And then you step out. 
So many times I just find the stories are like that. In spite of myself, we sometimes call it courage, but in spite of yourself, you end up in a spot and hopefully you've got enough people around you say, Dave or Annie, you should you should try that. I have a friend who's wildly successful in the financial industry. She was working for a bank and that bank came in one day and said, uh, uh, big giant public bank said, hey, we're going to shut your division down. You haven't done anything wrong. She's a genius, got her master's at Pepperdine, really, really smart finance person, but just doesn't really suit who we are. Even though your group's in the black, it doesn't really suit who we are. And so we're just going to, we're just going to shut that thing down. And now her husband at the time said, why don't you just take that for yourself? She's like, I don't want to take on that kind of risk. I'll help bankroll it. You're a genius. Just do it. So they, this is an oversimplification of a long thing, but, and the bank said, sure, if you want to take these customers, because we'd wow. rather have them not go. Still a lot of hard work, still a lot of misses, but I just feel like when people, when they have good people around them, if nothing else, just to encourage, or you can do it, or, you know, when it's, I'm, you haven't talked about any of the scary moments, but there are moments like, how do we meet payroll? Oh, yeah. How do I get this done? But people around you, not just about the idea, but how to work through the ups and downs. That's a pretty rock and roll story. But still, Reddit group and it explodes. That's pretty. Yeah. I, I mean, I a lot of it was all those pieces you mentioned, but a lot, some of it is just luck and being at the right place at the right time, being exposed to the right things, which uh, is why <clears throat> I always love to educate people about the tech because you never know when they're going to take it on and do something great with it as well. Yeah. But it's it's been a really fun ride, but you're right. I skipped all the scary stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I find, though, that the universe tries to seek people out that are... Um, that have those things. Sometimes it is just completely random luck. You're number 123 through the door, and that's just the way it is that day. But most of the time, while there's some element of that, there are these opportunity and uh, preparedness things that come in there. You might not have even seen it. So as you're diving into this in the beginning and you have this experience, I mean, I see the correlation between virtual reality and entertainment. Mm-hmm gaming, music, we, we all want this user experience. How, how do you transition that? It seems to me, and I'm a very familiar with the idea of digital twins and simulation and using something where I can immerse myself. For example, if I want to I want to inspect a, um, a building or I want to inspect something and do it first or a cliff, I'm a rock climber and I want to inspect a cliff and you know, I've had LiDAR map this thing or whatever tech I've used. And so I can simulate doing that ahead of time. But how do you transition that into a non-entertainment role? Or is that still the primary focus? I really want it to be around human beings entertaining themselves. Well, the the money right now for our company is still in the corporate production side. So okay. we've done a lot of figuring out what you can do outside of entertainment that's still leveraging the same tools and skills to be able to deliver something useful to people. Uh, a lot of that does fall within, I'd say, two categories. One is visualization tools, so helping people either visualize spaces. We do like a lot of architecture visualization. So um, we'll get renderings and early uh, 
drafts from architecture firms, and then we will take those and recreate them in VR or optimize them for VR and deploy them. And leadership will use it to, to make approvals since they can actually stand in the physical space that's not built yet. Um, or we did one where uh, we worked with a giant hospital development project. It's a 70-acre hospital campus here in Atlanta, and um, they used it as a fundraising tool. So they're mm. showing, oh, here's where your family foundation's name will go over the door in this wing. Or mm. we have these pillars in the garden, and you could have one here, and you can see it from the hospital windows, and and this is what the campus looks like. Uh, and that was wildly successful. So those are things to visualize any sort of product or concept. And then the other side is training. Those are most like a game, I would say, in terms of production. Uh, and you're really, I mean, you really are making a game. You're making a, an objective. You're making uh, different paths to get to either this objective. You either pass it, you fail it. You're teaching someone this process. Um, but it all is developed like a game. Mm -hmm. And then that can be deployed. Um, it could be for anything, whether it's safety, whether it's a process training, or even some sort of physical activity that you would do, like a car mechanic, for example. Uh, you put them in this training, and then all that data can be driven back into a learning management system or somewhere else that you might capture that employee completion data. So mm. there are a lot of ways to use it outside of entertainment. The great thing is... Um, I, we started a game studio two years ago in addition to uh, the corporate stuff, and it's really the same talent pool. I do have two separate teams, but there's a lot of crossover, and I, we intentionally share a space because I want them to like hear from each other what's happening, and mm -hmm. they learn from each other, and it's uh, been really great to see the advancement on both sides kind of build each other up and kind of double the the um, speed at which we can innovate and come up with new things. So mm. uh, they do work hand in hand. They use a lot of the same technology. It's just a different way to deliver the content. Post-pandemic, I have to caution myself uh, when I see technologies or ideas flourishing because we're reacting to a post-pandemic world. And I would sometimes phrase it like, it's a positive thing, right? Hey, the pandemic brought us, and I'm like, dude, the pandemic brought us misery and pain yeah. and economic uh, hardship. At the same time, I've got to imagine, in fact, I do imagine, whether it's uh, Meta's version of the metaverse or Microsoft's version of the metaverse or this immersive world, as we spend so much time still, we're physically here today in a studio, <clears throat> but it's super attractive. If I could get this experience of literally feeling like I'm right here, you're right there, and yet I'm not necessarily there, because the infrastructure bill that Congress passed last year is getting fiber out to the world or whatever the technology gaps are to make sure that I've got connectivity. How does this impact the investment or the development or the interest in virtual reality? Because some of the biggest companies on earth, this is their double down. I mean, they would say this is their future or this is one of the key pillars of their future. Yes, there has been a ton of investment lately. And even though we don't go the investor route, like we can see it because of the interest from clients. So uh, we 
are already on track for at least a 3X year this year, which is crazy. Mm. Of my little baby company on track for 3X from last year. That's my little baby company. My little baby company. So it's very exciting uh, just to see, because that's the, those are people who were not interested in it before and now see the power of it and right. the usefulness of it. Uh, a lot of it is because everyone is so distributed now that they're looking for creative ways to reduce travel. I know that's something that was a huge thing during the pandemic. You couldn't travel. And so uh, companies are now trying to figure out, okay, well, maybe we don't need to travel as much. What can we do instead of that? Where can we put that money? Because corporate travel budgets were huge before the pandemic, and there was a lot right. of bloat there. Um and then we're like and inefficiency and inefficiency, yeah, because that's a person that has to physically like spend time on a plane in a car, whatever, crushing their productivity down yeah. in that time. So it, they're they're seeing that as an opportunity to um, to use these technologies to kind of alleviate the fact that they may not need to travel anymore. Um, something else that is just kind of a number that I'm seeing, like typically I would have maybe two to three strong leads for big, good projects. I have 19 right now that I'm juggling. Wow. And it's it's very exciting, but it's also kind of overwhelming. And I'm like, where are the other production studios? Right. A lot of my friends who had some, they, uh, they've been selling their studios off because mm. companies are coming and we've been approached by a few large enterprise organizations are coming to small companies like mine saying, I want a VR department in a, in a blink. Right. Can I acquire you? Right. And it's like, Oh, well that's awesome. But I'm, I'm so excited about what we can do independently. And right. also I like the freedom right. and uh, I don't really need a, a huge payout. I'm, I'm happy. Right. So I would rather kind of hold out and, and do my own thing, but I could absolutely see that being attractive to all these other small studios that instantly have this buyout. Mm. And and it's it's crazy. I think in the past six months, I've probably been approached four or five times for deals like that. Mm. And it's it's just, you know, that's just anecdotal for me. But I imagine if I'm seeing it, others are seeing it. I wonder how much the public will buy into it. Before the pandemic, I'm certain leadership did not love the idea of most of their employees most of the time working remote that's a completely different culture now. We've learned a lot of hard lessons. It wasn't all fantastic. There's, um, on my show, we've had a number of conversations around mental health mm -hmm. consequences. Um, you almost, before, you would have sort of a, a daily health check of people coming into the office or going into school or whatever, and when you don't have that regularly, we just sort of, over time in our, certainly here in the West of the United States, we had this, um, almost this, this mechanism grow up within us where we kind of help keep an eye on each other. Mm -hmm. And when that's gone, um, it broke a lot of things. We're getting better. We're learning it. But I'm wondering if there, how many people would be interested in this idea, for example, of virtual reality to do work. And what I mean by that is like, I'm just going to work. I just, I just put on my headset or whatever the future interaction uh, immersion technology is. I hope it's a holodeck as a Star Trek mm -hmm. fan, um, where I just walk into my holodeck room or my holodeck cube or whatever it is. And, um, you know, computer work or whatever, I don't have to commute and I'm there. And I'm in that virtual world where I can have water cooler conversations, I can do my job, I'm connecting with other people. Do you do you get any sense from 
the world that you're working in, that this is uh, something that employees desire, that people want to do this? Or is it, no, I want to save it more for either a very specific thing I do at work or for my entertainment world? Not, I'm fully immersed and I'm stepping into a virtual reality. I love the idea because I could show, you know, I could, I'm always dressed. I don't have any of my breakfast on my shirt. <laughs> I don't have to worry about my grooming. What do you think about it? Well, I, I will say it is really impactful to have those social experiences in VR. So mm. because I run a VR studio, we all have headsets. Mm -hmm. And so during the pandemic, at least once a week, maybe sometimes more frequently, like we would meet with each other in VR. And it feels completely different than Zoom. And yes, you're not seeing a photorealistic like avatar of this person, but right. everyone has their personal avatar. We actually leverage um, Altspace VR quite a bit, which uh, was acquired by Microsoft several years ago. It's one of my favorite platforms. But they, you, you enter into this, and you, it was just exciting to be closer than six feet with someone at the time. So I'm like, oh, I'm like right there. You're right there. You right. can see there. You can really get a lot. I know it's only hand tracking and head tracking for now. Right. But you really get a lot of body language just with your head and your hands. Mm. And uh, it has like little automated mouth flap movement, and like it'll show a little thought bubble if you're talking, just to make sure people can have a visual indicator that it's coming from you. And they have like emojis that'll pop out of your head, and so you can show emotion in some ways. It's definitely not, uh, I don't know, hype, super realistic, but you will be amazed with how much you feel like you're with that person when you're sharing a 3D space. Mm. And so I've seen uh, companies pop up, one we work with, who their whole goal is to create these shared spaces for teams to meet together in VR and do a shared experience. So like one of the things you can do is, is walk across this crevasse crossing at Mount Everest together as a team. And it is scary because you're walking across this rickety ladder and you look down and if you get off of it in VR, you fall off. Is is it, is it photorealistic? That one is not. So okay. um, the the great thing about platforms like Altspace VR is they allow user-generated content. That's, mm. I don't know if we end up getting into the metaverse right. stuff, we could talk all uh, about uh, sure. that. But uh, they allow user-generated worlds. So um, you can produce a, a world. It has to be very optimized, though. So I know we were speaking about the hardware piece of it and uh everything on a Quest headset is basically running off an Android phone. Mm. So there are a lot of limitations with just the, the GPU of the phone, which is in the headset, mm. um, that, that what it can run. Mm. And photorealistic graphics are not ready right. yet. <laughs> so let's, let's dive into the metaverse. I'm On the one hand, I love the idea of um, being able to immerse myself in a rock concert like if i could go to a music event from i don't know the stones in the 60s or go back to u2 in 1987 when i saw them live on their joshua tree tour before bono got his funky glasses or <laughs> live at red rocks or whatever fill in the fill in the blank uh, one of my favorite artists is a guy named keith green who uh, died when he was a young man in um, a plane crash unfortunately uh, unless you were into hippie Christian music of the 70s, you'd have never heard of this guy. So to be able to take footage and you take artificial intelligence that can sort of clean it up and recreate the entire crowd experience at these small little venues or Bob Dylan back in the day, hopefully they can auto-tune him, but whatever. And you could just immerse yourself. 
I dig that idea. Or for me, I love, among many things, uh, motocross racing. And just this last year, they've had drones following the racers out on the track. And it's this completely different experience because when you're watching from the side, any sporting event, um, it's it's almost impossible to it's impossible to get the full experience of what Phelps is going through the the his heart race the water in his face the sound the noise you could see it from the pool side but you can't see it there or the dirt bike racing and what they're going through and I imagine a day when virtual reality puts you at first over their shoulder and then sort of immersing yourself into that full experience um, how far are we from something like that? Well, when you're don't crush our hopes, Annie. <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna crush them completely, but I will say when you're filming or when you're trying to capture a live event, that's where the experience <sighs> is. It can still be immersive. There's 360 cameras. You can capture a lot of footage. You can even get pieces and components of it and kind of map it together in this really cool immersive way. But when you have a 360 capture. What you see is what you get. It mm. is real, but you can't move around the space. You can't walk around the facility. I think there are more virtual venues that are being built, mm. and those are uh, trying to support live artists coming in. But for that experience, they're still coming in in avatar form or some sort of holographic projection that's right. not really um, truly do hear, live. Do you hear that ABBA's doing that? I did. ABBA's I'm very that. excited about ABBA. that. My wife's going to kill me for saying ABBA. ABBA. Okay. Um, where you can go to their concert yes. and they, yeah. I'm, I'm very excited about that one. But it's it's interesting to see all the different ways that people are trying to piece this together. Like Oculus did one or Meta did one after the Super Bowl with the Foo Fighters. And um, so many people try to join that you couldn't get in, which is right. a problem. A lot of people were angry. I did get in and you're kind of sitting on this platform thing uh, like you're in a box seat, but they're blown up probably maybe, I don't know, 10 times their normal size. And it was right. like, you were right in the front row right. of this concert. And okay, no, it's not fully immersive. It's not like 360, but they did it in a way to where I felt like I was right there. Right. And they were singing right at me. And that is just so cool. So right. people are still trying to define the way that we take this content and bring it into VR to create these immersive experiences. Um, now, when you say you want your holodeck, um, there are some haptics, which are physical, I guess, hardware items that you add on to the the whole, I don't know, whatever you put on your body, right. and then some uh, to help you feel everything. Wow. So there are already, and this is, the thing is, these things exist, they're just not consumer friendly. Right. So there's already vibrating vests that'll, right. like I did a, in a, a Ghostbusters experience where the ghost flew through me and I felt right. it, but that's a retail location you have to physically go to to right. get all the hardware. Right. And the smell of vision it exists, but it's mostly being used for PTSD training, Right. which is you know, not the most pleasant smells. Right. You smell a war zone, which right. is not good. Right. But the tech exists. Or a teenager bathroom. Or it's that. This, almost yeah. the same thing. <laughs> so it, it's like the tech exists. You kind of see it flow through these very <clears throat> high budget areas first, and mm -hmm. then it trickles down. So eventually it'll get better and smaller and cheaper, and then we'll get it too. I spent a lot of time, uh, I've talked about it on my show, so I'm not going to belabor it here, launching... Um, online racing. So before it was iRacing and some of these other things, I would do land tournaments and land parties and worked with the company Papyrus who made the original NASCAR racing stuff. And um, that was kind of my, my, my hobby while I was working at UT. And they, um, they've since 
just gone on to bigger and greater things. But we had force feedback wheels. You'd, you'd get bevelless uh, video screens, you know, three or four screens around you. So you'd get this. You could get force feedback chairs. Mm-hmm. Where it's gone, I don't know so much about the racing, but Microsoft's Flight Sim, where oh, yeah. when you're in it, depending upon the power of your computer, while it's not full virtual reality, everything you look at your screen it is painting, in other words, it's um, it's a live, real, photorealistic world, de- again, depending upon how narrow you're looking. But it's, it's, um, it's not something that's already created that you can't interact with. It's rendering it while you're experiencing it. Yeah. And so you can move around, the water's flowing, the air, the land, the city, traffic, lights, the sunrise, the sunset. You, it's it's not you're stepping into a you know a Shakespearean novel and you just step in on page thirty seven. You're experiencing and creating it in your own world. How soon do you think that that's or Westworld? You know the show Westworld. How soon do you think before we can step into something like that? Is that a hundred years away? Westworld's, Westworld is pretty far because <laughs> um, they have their like AI robots. Well, yeah, and I don't even, I don't, I mean, that's maybe that's not a great, well, I, we're going to talk but, about it in a minute. But, but that is an interesting example because that is, it's a place you physically go and right. the simulation is around you in right. 3D. So you're not wearing a headset for that. Right. You're there. Right. Um, I will say with Microsoft Flight Simulator, it does work in VR. Okay. And I've used it. You have to have a, a good computer to run that. Right. But um, one of my friends built out this whole like haptic chair. You've got the full HOTAS. You've got a, and I probably said What's HOTAS. What's a HOTAS? Oh my gosh. It's the, I don't, it's the, Joy. It's the controller. It's, the controller. it's all of their controllers for to operate the plane. I only the know plane. the acronym. Yeah. I know it's it's something, but yeah. it's got like the throttle and the all right. the buttons and all right. that to mimic what you would use in a yeah. plane. I think uh, it's the heads up, heads up something. something or other. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, we're not pilots. We're not pilots. Uh, <laughs> that's why I flew a plane in VR. I flew. They let me pick anywhere in the world. I flew around Dubai. I gave myself a little tour, and then I crashed into the <laughs> ocean. So <laughs> no one let me fly your plane. Yeah. But but being able to do that in a chair that like. Like rumble, like when I crashed into the ocean, right. I, I felt it. Right. Um, that all exists. It's just how much money you want to spend. Right. When we're talking about like a full on photorealistic real- experience where it's indistinguishable from reality, it's at, at least decades, if not a hundred years right. away. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that, especially with you know some of the wealthiest companies ever chasing it. Let's swing back to Meta for a moment. So we've got this technology, virtual reality technology. Uh, you already have experienced it in some of the apps that you've uh, explained here. When you step into, and whether it's Meta's version of it or Microsoft's vision of it, whoever's, when you step into that space from a, I don't know, personal or business, I'm, I'm imagining personal, mm-hmm. you step into that space, how... In your experience, how immersive is it? How how much can you suspend belief? And here, before you answer that, it's easy to look at some of the video games that people play today that are spectacularly photorealistic, and they've got all these things going on. But I am old enough to be one of the original players of a game called Doom that I had never experienced before. I had never really gamed before. My games before that were like text-based games, 
or they were single player games or something like that. They weren't three or four dudes or dudettes in a LAN and monsters coming at me. And the graphics by today's standards were horrible. And yet I was terrified. It was I was fully immersed in the music and the experience. So I don't know if we're at that stage in terms of this immersive experience of like a metaverse, but what's the attraction and how immersive do you think is it? Right now, it is extremely immersive. Mm. Like every time I put on a VR headset, I will come out, I will forget which direction I was facing. I'll lose track of time, which can be a little scary. Mm. Uh, and I'll sometimes even forget what time of day it is. So uh, when you come out of it, I think that's probably the biggest indicator of how immersive it is, is when you take the headset off, like, do you feel like, oh, I am at home or, oh, I am at the office. And that's how I feel every single time. And mm. I use it almost every day. So mm. uh, I feel like even though the graphics are not photorealistic, you still get that level of immersion that you described when you uh, first played Doom, that that it it feels real enough to that people are wanting to go in over and over. Mm. And if people tried it and then put it down, I don't think more people would buy it. I don't think it'd be as successful as it is right now. Right. So uh, it's, it's crazy to think like you will get scared terrified if you do a horror game in vr the jump scares are completely different than anything you'd see in a movie or a two-dimensional game on your computer or on your tv you're they're right up in your face um there's you know zombie there's tons of shooter games so if you want to be scared in vr those are probably the ones for you um there there have been experiments with uh biofeedback relating to the game's progression in vr so i know There was one marketing agency here in Atlanta who was experimenting with it a few years ago. They created an experience where there's a heart rate monitor, and as your heart rate elevates, it makes the game scarier. Like, I feel like that's, I mean, some people might really be into that, but when you're thinking of, okay, you're not just thinking about the visuals in terms of immersion, you're thinking about the biofeedback and the human reaction, and then how can that also impact the advancement of that immersive experience? That's cool to me, too. Yeah, I... And terrifying. I, I imagine I've heard so many people talking about their hope for uh, this experience. And I'm going to stay on the positive note for a moment. I have some questions about um, maybe some of the risks with it. They're talking about commerce in it. Like, I can, can, can I create things that I can sell in the metaverse, or I can open up a shop, or I can open up a a club and have people come into my club and they pay an entry fee to be part of this club. And, you know, I, it blows my mind to think that those all could be this entire virtual economic and social world. Absolutely. I mean, that, the, the thing that's a little tricky, uh, when I guess Mark Zuckerberg did his little spiel on the metaverse fall 2021, he, he waited till the very end to say that's the future. Right. And so everyone's watching this like, oh my gosh, everything's already interconnected. Right. I can sell my things. I can go to events. I can do all this. You can to an extent, but the interoperability between the platforms is pretty much non-existent right mm. now. So you have all of these competing platforms like Altspace and Meta has Horizon World and um, there's VR Chat and then you have ones that are mostly still on the computer like Decentraland or the Sandbox that are more digital currency focused and you see all of these and the promise or the hope is someday you can bring assets, you can sell assets and buy them and bring them between them Mm -hmm. and right now 
you can't. Right. And so there's a lot of, I guess, exaggeration as far as what the metaverse is right now. Right. Um, now, it's not to say that it can't be that. And hopefully someday it will. Like someday, hopefully it could be like Ready Player One where people actually have jobs in the metaverse. Right. They have relationships in the metaverse. There's people I've met that live on the other side of the world that I've hung out with that I, I'm like, you are cool. We add right. each other as friends in alt space and we see each other at events and I know him. He lives right. in Germany. So right. it's it's really cool to be able to... Um, have that right now, but there's still a long way to go in regards to you know having your Gucci jacket that you buy in right. base, in Meta, and then you bring it over with you to VR chat, and you take it everywhere. If I hadn't played World of Warcraft for ten years and know how much of those pixels meant to me as I acquired them and how much time I spent, I would think you're crazy. But I there's something addictive about there, you, you had to use that platform system and either through skills of what they call rating or uh, uh, production where you make things through crafting or whatever. Did you ever play World of Warcraft? I did not, but I watched you, many people walk, yeah, play it in college. Avoid, <laughs> <laughs> you've avoid, I never, would never do it during company hours or during school time at all. But... Um, uh, in all seriousness, it became you know you would just chase because that's human nature. We chase mm -hmm. these uh, these things, <clears throat> and it would just suck so much time. That's one of the reasons why I shifted to board gaming was I wanted it to be <clears throat> more of a social, <clears throat> in person, because uh, interaction. Because I get so caught up in virtual world, I don't usually lose time in the real world. Although it's possible. In the same way as I do either looking at a screen, mm -hmm. watch, binging a Netflix or something, or getting immersed because they're so immersive and they're so – it's like I just keep going. I just keep going. I just keep going. How – what are some of the you know risks? I don't know if you know very much about this, but I'm curious. There's privacy and security. Whenever we talk about technology is a question. How much uh, – control should we have? How much control should the platform have? How much control should, or protection for that matter? Some of the things that I've read about are, hey, how can I turn this into adult content? Because adults like adult content. How do I turn this into fill in the blank? And by the way, it's a virtual world. So how can it be wrong? You know, uh, something that might be a crime in uh, in the real world, can I go simulate hurting people or abusing people or whatever it is? Can I go in my own little space and do these things? And on the one hand, because I tend to be pretty libertarian, I'm like, hey, if let grownups do what grownups want to do, but protecting people either from unwanted or unsolicited interaction or two, separating age-appropriate people from getting in, mm -hmm. how does the does the industry um, think about that much at all? And the reason why I ask that is we had Dr. Wolpe on recently from Emory, and he said he's very pro, 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 pro tech. Like there's so many benefits we get of these things. But the tech can have godlike power and outrun the ability of people to process and keep up to make sure we get the controls in place to protect ourselves. So being in the industry, whether it's on the uh, business espionage side or a little too James Bond there, or the uh, 
personal privacy or safety side. How do you think through some of that stuff? Yeah, it, it means that's an easy th- thing to that's test such tackle. An easy question. Knock it out. I'll lean back. You go. <laughs> Well, I mean, the problem now is that there aren't defined answers to this. Mm. Um, I have seen a couple of different groups start to create like ethics boards and things like that, but there isn't really one like most powerful ethics board when it comes to VR. And I'm sure there will be someday. I don't know, you know, where that's going to come from or who's going to end up being the, the power behind that, but it definitely needs to happen. In the meantime, uh, anything that is a social environment really needs to have moderator tools. Like any any public VR space <clears> I've <throat> gone into with an avatar of mine or a robot version of me, mm. um, which sometimes I'll use. Sometimes I'll use a an avatar that looks nothing like me. It's either like a robot or it's a dude just right. because it, you get harassed less. Right, right. So when you go into a public space, you're almost always going to have someone try to enter your personal space. Uh, I know I keep talking about alt space a lot, but I love it. They have a, a personal bubble button and you can turn it on. And if people get within like an arm's length of you with their avatars, they disappear and turn invisible and you can't hear them. Like, can we have this in real life, please? <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But, but Especially it's, on the freeway. It's interesting to see the moderation <clears throat> tools in a three-dimensional space versus a, a two-dimensional space. So you still have the normal things like being able to mute people or block people or report people. Um, but but the personal bubble thing, I think, is kind of creative. Um, it, I mean, as far as the content is concerned, I, I know a lot of the platforms do have parameters around their content. There's really not a lot to age restrict things just yet um i know facebook horizons or gosh meta whatever i keep Mm -hmm. calling them everything uh horizons their platform is supposed to be 18 and up but i know i've been in there and i have heard children talking like how do you stop that Uh, you can't because you can't see the person who's driving the headset so it's it's I mean, they're talking about putting eye tracking in some of these devices. Some of them already have. Maybe eventually it'll be a retina scan. I don't know. But the controls are wildly undefined right now. Yeah. It's weird to think of it as the Wild West. But in some ways, it reminds me of the Wild West or even the early days of the Industrial Revolution when I've learned this recently, most of, at least here in the West, society when we were an agricultural society things were more or less um established uh women and children generally and being very general weren't um abused in the same way that when the industrial revolution came along and we needed people to work now and we didn't have child labor laws we didn't have protections um uh much less uh, women's suffrage or all these other things, when when technology applied this pressure, we need people, the, the most vulnerable amongst us were absolutely exploited. We caught up, but there's, you know, all kinds of stories we can read about and experiences that we can read about where people were um, abused and taken advantage of and laws and legislature had to catch up. And that's one of the things with all of this tech, it's not just virtual reality, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, one of the big hyperscales, who I know this is not their heart, used some tools with their HR program and their recruiting program, only to find out that the tool was then explicitly recruiting white guys. I'm a white guy, so that's great for me, but it was 
because the tool was working a certain way, so they had to fix it. So we don't mm -hmm. crucify the first attempt, but we go back through there. But in the meantime, probably some pretty good different gender, different color candidates were excluded. As we evolve in any of these things, that's always my concern, in particular when it relates to kids. You know, you get in there and it's difficult to restrict and you get exposed to stuff and you can't unsee and unhear it. So I'm, I'm hoping that parents or guardians or whatever, kids are attracted to this, mm -hmm. whatever, the, whatever the foreign thing is. You know, I remember yeah. my parents saying, don't drink. And I went to a buddy of mine's uh, bar mitzvah and they had the wine flowing. Now the parents weren't trying to get us in trouble or whatever. We snuck it. We knew not to do it, but we snuck it. And we paid the price um, for that back to that vomiting thing earlier. But anyway, how I'm I'm wondering how you guys think about legislature legislation or any of that as we look forward, or is it more sort of look, it's gonna sort itself out and how do we do that? How do we create standards in a body? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's just difficult because because there are no standards, right. which, of course, we create our own. There's some projects in industries that we don't want to work with, mm. and we think that the technology may impact um, or advance something that we don't believe should be advanced. Right. And so we'll say no to certain projects. Right. Um, and so, But that's just us and our own, I guess, ethical right. wall that we want to stand behind. But, yeah, there's there's – it's it's hard. It's a hard thing to do right now. We just have to trust that we're making the right choices. Um, and of course, we're keeping an eye on who's starting to make these groups. I don't know that we're big enough to be involved in any of them. But uh, once they are established, I'm sure we'll, we'll keep an eye on that, make our voices heard if we don't agree with something. Yeah. Recently, I was at the um, Humans to Mars Summit up in DC, which was really cool. One of the things that I heard in it that I just loved. There were two big things. One, and we haven't rehearsed this, how many women were at female astronauts, uh, geologists, physicists, um, artists, whatever, that were in this world? What was One of the things that was really interesting was they weren't running around saying, we're women and we're like, these are just really smart people that were all, that were fascinated with the idea of space travel or all their, whatever their areas of expertise, how could we bring it together um, and pursue some of this stuff in your industry, especially since I have three daughters, how much opportunity is there for, is it still male dominated? Is there opportunity for women coders or people in this space? Oh yeah. I mean, there are always opportunities for women coders. I, um, I, I know especially groups that are trying to make their balance more equal within mm. their organizations or, of course, hiring the best candidate. But if you see a woman, you're like, okay, you're definitely getting an interview. Right. So uh, there, there are absolutely opportunities for anyone who's interested. But mm. I, I get really excited when I see women start to get industry interested in this field. And I think because it is so new, relatively, mm -hmm. uh, that they're – are more opportunities for women to get in because everyone's trying to get in at the same time. It's not right. like, you know, all these guys have decades of experience because no one has decades of experience. Right. So I think that the bar is is shifting a little bit just because mm -hmm. the industry is new. Everyone is on a more, not mm -hmm. fully, but more level playing field to have those opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I, it's, I like that you said uh, that the women at the conference weren't just like, we're women and we're here. Yeah. I mean, of course, you have to do that sometimes. Right. But um, I, I was aggravated. This is just like a little personal thing. The other day, I, my high school 15-year, whatever, people right. were posting on this group. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll tell you what I do right now. Right. And like this one person commented, she's trying to be very supportive, really nice person. But she wrote... And what Annie failed to mention is that she is a strong, quote, female in tech. And I'm like, why'd you have to say it like right. that? Like, why can't I just be a successful tech entrepreneur? Yeah. Like, yes, it is more rare to be a woman in tech, but it just felt so sterile that she put it in quotes and called me a female. I'm just yeah. like, come on. <laughs> but well, she didn't know. She was trying to support me. So I think a lot of people just, they genuinely, from their heart, want to be supportive. Right. And they want to make sure there are equal opportunities, but sometimes it just comes across a little bit fake. Yeah, it it's a slippery slope. You know, you want to um, with with whatever the category is. How do I? If you have an underrepresented group that should be represented, that's and by that I don't mean why aren't we yelling for. Uh, Inuit Indians in tech or whatever. Is there a group that has been artificially excluded as opposed to, or just isn't interested? I'm, you know, if there's, I'm not particularly interested. It's not underrepresented because I've been um, stiff-armed, don't apply. It's underrepresented or it's not going to be equitable pay or Mm -hmm. equitable opportunity. It's underrepresented because there's not a lot of opportunity for six foot three, 285 pound guys to run through tunnels. I, it's just not something I want to do. So what I dug about the, uh, my experience up at the um, convention last week or a couple weeks ago was they're so comfortable in that community about some of these discussions. I feel, I, I'm not saying there isn't work to be done, but it just wasn't, that wasn't the primary focus, the, my my color or my gender or my age or whatever it was the quality of my work the other thing that was remarkable was um how much they talk about arts mm-hmm. i love that we were trying to get art back into the technology conversation because the first thing for almost all human beings when you sit them down even Annie Eaton, tech entrepreneur, probably at three years old or earlier, you didn't start doing algebra. You started drawing or singing or playing or making music or something art related. That is our go-to move as human Mm -hmm. beings. And as your higher brain function um, comes along and begins uh, contemplating abstract values or whatever, in addition to that, you add tech to it. And I just love that art, the value of art is now being seen. Have you experienced that much in your world as well? Yes. Yes, definitely. When you were like, you probably started singing or something when you were three years old. Well, I started playing piano at the age of four. And that is something. Yeah, I saw my dad playing piano and I was like, Mom, I really want to do it. And the teacher was like, we usually don't take kids this young. I'm like, please, please. And I still play today. Mm. Uh, But I, I feel like music, especially just because that was my personal journey, as well as dance, which I was in from a very young age as well, really, I mean, it, it gave me a different part of my brain to use. Mm hmm. Then technology and having a strong, I guess, art side of your brain or creativity side of your brain, in addition to the tech side, is like a perfect combination. So um, I didn't 
think I was going to do music professionally, but I actually wrote all the music for our game. So I'm a really? video game soundtrack producer. <laughs> yes. Um, but now, now this is turning into a vulgar display of power. I, I just know, to... right? I just control everything. <laughs> but no, it's, I mean, we were, it was produced during the pandemic when I had a little bit more time. Right. I don't know if I'll continue being right. able to do this, but it was really cool to see directly in my profession an intersection of those two. And so I've been trying to do a lot of work more recently, especially with um, introducing younger women and girls to that. Uh, I've been doing a lot of work with WIT, Women in Technology. They have uh, primarily, I guess, since their inception, been very STEM-focused, so science, technology, engineering, and math. And then in the past couple of years, they really started to take the arts very seriously and its impact on technology and its integration with technology. And so they've gone from STEM to STEAM. And uh, I've been helping them a lot with their arts programming. Mm. So the the first event we had was actually here at QTS. Um, was it really? It was. It was in the room right next to this studio. And we hosted 30 middle and high school age girls. Um, and we had eight different VR uh, headset setups in that room right over there. And uh, it was a virtual environment production challenge. So they got to use a 3D art tool. All of them learned it that day. Right. And they worked in teams to create an immersive world, and we really didn't want to limit them. Uh, some of them were really interested in coding. Some of them were more fine artists, and it was very cool to see them working together on it. But we just said, you have to create, um, and it, it, like the walls or the space around you, you have to have something above you, you have to have something below you, and you have to have an object and a living creature. And that's mm -hmm. all we told them because... If you say you have to have like walls and a sky, that eliminates the ability to have an underwater adventure. Mm. Or if you say there has to be a ground, you know, you can't have outer space. So right. we tried to be very general with it. And the things these girls came up with were incredible. And they only had a couple of hours to work on them. And it's just so cool to see how they picked up this new tool and learning. Um, their brains just are not uh, I guess, beaten into them to draw and think in two dimensions. Right. Because they're so young, they can really easily grasp thinking in three dimensions. And right. so they picked on it, picked up on it very quickly and produced some incredible things. Isn't that so cool when we get out of the way of kids' imagination and just let them go? Mm -hmm. That's an area I hope that we get better at developing, in particular with AI or whatever, where you just let, just let just let kids and their imagination go and have have the machines kind of ingest it and observe it and spin creation out of it or 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 ideas or novel i i just think that the human brain when we aren't when boundaries aren't artificial boundaries aren't introduced to it and we just let it freeform we come up with it's almost a hallucinogenic right yeah. we come up with the very out of the box interesting ideas yeah, one of my favorite kind of tests to do to people, and I can see a distinct like age threshold where this happens, is I'll put them in this program. Um, if they've basically graduated high school or older, you ask them to draw a cube, and they draw a cube in the VR program flat. So they draw the, the three-dimensional lines of a cube at an angle up. Mm -hmm. And because that's how we've been taught to draw right. a cube on paper. If you ask a kid to draw a cube, they will actually reach out with their hands and draw the cube in 3D. And oh. um, so I'll, I'll say, okay, adult, draw right. your cube. Now walk around it. And they'll walk around it and they'll say, it's flat. And I'm like, well, you've been taught to think in 
flat. Right. And um, and so it's really cool to see like kids have not been limited in that way. And right. so they think differently. It's it's so, so incredible. When you when you got into the business, um, you appear to be a woman. I, I you am. did you did not you weren't initial you didn't say to yourself going to school, hey, I want to get into virtual reality or I want to be a coder. When you're soliciting people, whether it's your company or your industry, is that still a, a, a do as many women apply as men or is it still um, unbalanced? Not because there is an opportunity, but just it just doesn't occur to people or how do you get more women to consider? Yeah, it's. Uh, I will say it depends on the role for the gender distribution for the mm. applicant. So for roles that are marketing related, mostly women. Um, mm. For account manager, production manager, it's maybe 50-50. Um, for artists, it's been about 50-50 uh, for 3D artists. Mm -hmm. And then for developers, that's where it's like probably 90% men, if not more. Is it because women just aren't, we know they're intellectually equal to or great. They like, are because, yeah, some, like one of my best developers, Linda, is a woman. She's right. incredible. She does amazing work. And I'm just like, how did you get into it? And she's like, I was exposed to the technology right. when she was younger. And so that's one of the reasons I love doing the work like that workshop I mentioned um, is because multiple girls who some were about to go to college, some were younger. There were, I think the youngest was maybe in seventh or eighth grade, mm -hmm. but they were like, this is what I want to do. Like, how do I get to this level? They're asking those questions at a younger age to mm -hmm. give themselves the opportunity to study this in school and to mm -hmm. like start to do this very early. Um, if, if you look at a lot of my applicants, so many of them either wanted to be video game developers or, um, or well, video game developers is pretty much the, right. the main, right. the main path. Very few of them went in with a VR goal in mind. Right. But um, the video game industry is historically known for having very toxic work environments, um, pretty much horrible working conditions, and a lot of uh, I horrible guess, conditions in general, or for women in particular. Um, I, I'm not familiar both, with it. Both. Okay. So the horrible conditions for everyone are really just the amount of uh, burnout that people have with it. Mm. Um, they overwork people. Uh, do a ton of crunch all the time. And then as soon as a product is released, they fire half the team. So that happens like a lot. It's a cycle and a lot of companies just do that. Right. Um, for women in particular, there have been uh, just overwhelming harassment, which you're probably going to experience if you're a, one of the few women at, at a studio that's not keeping an eye on things. Mm. Um, there have been really... I, I guess high profile companies like Blizzard being one mm. of them that um, had a lot of bad behavior come out over the mm. past couple of years. And it, it happens more than people realize, but mm. it's like the people just care about the deadlines. They care about the money and they're not thinking about the people. Mm. And so I think that reputation as an industry is probably preventing women from even being interested in it. Mm -hmm. And so even though we're not hiring VR people, all of our pool is from gaming and women don't want to necessarily go into gaming if they don't want to deal with that. And so I'm just missing out because they're not moving through the pipeline. How do you change two things? How do you change the culture? And then how do you change uh, how do you reach? Because you're missing a significant mm -hmm. talent pool. I got schooled. I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm glad I learned. I was probably, I don't know, five years ago, I was in the Bay Area and I was at a CTO conference. 
And I was sitting at a table with all women CTOs, and they their panel was women in the workforce. And I was sitting there to myself thinking, look, whoever's the best applicant? Why do we have to have a absolutely if there's criminal behavior or uncomfortable or harassing behavior, prosecute to the fullest extent of the law, uh, anybody, male, female, whoever it is, unacceptable. But why do we got to have, why do you got to have this, um, not necessarily a quota, that's not what they were saying, but this emphasis. Mm -hmm. And uh, my question, I didn't have an opportunity to ask a question. They came and they sat at the table afterwards and I asked that question. Like, I just don't get it. What was fascinating, one, they were very polite and very kind. They didn't just pick on me. But two, they said, here's the empirical peer-reviewed studies that have shown when you have groups that are all men or you have groups that are all women in our industry, in our jobs, you can look at a production that looks like this. And there are various ways. It's not just product output. There's innovation. It's um, toxicity of a work environment, like all of these different things. When you add um, people in that uh, environment, male or female, um, so that you have a mixed environment here. So long as it's uh, you, to your point earlier, you keep a healthy environment on how we're behaving. Here's how everything benefits. This is the change in every measurable way, and it's almost all good. So long as we're treated treated essentially equal under the law. And so I may say, if I've got a team of 10 engineers and I need um, two more, and this is all male in this case, in this conversation, and I've got candidates on a scale of one to 10, I've got two or three that are a 9.2 and two or three that are a 9.4, and those two or three happen to be women, here's why I might, so long as they can do the job and do these other things, introduce them to the environment. I don't think it's playing the ratio, was their point, at least as I remember it. This is about how do I get the best, healthiest team, the best, healthiest products. And in the past, in our industries, there's been an artificial wall on, no, because they went through a list of reasons why we shouldn't do this. And yet, study after study after study, Midwest universities, West Coast, East Coast, Southern, Northern, not just a particular uh, university or school system that could skew the data, this is how it benefits us all. And so with that data, since I've been entrusted to these teams, I know there's a lot of words, this is how I'm measuring that. Does that ring true with you? Yeah, I mean, you can you can also like you said if you're if it's introducing something new into the environment, that is going to be better for innovation. You don't want just everyone to have the same brain. Right. And so you're getting a different thought process. Women are more empathetic. Maybe more women should work in VR especially right. if we're talking about these ethical issues right. that may rise up. Um, something else that we've noticed, and I've heard other industries' experiences as well, is, um, and I know there have been studies on this, uh, but I can't cite the exact one, but uh, the, that men will typically apply for a job if they are over 60% qualified and women will be over 90% before they will apply I've for the, the same job. I've heard the exact same thing, yeah. And so if you think about that, you're you're already just getting way more men. Right. A lot of it does come down to the interview or if they're doing a coding test or something. Like if if a woman reads this job description, it's like, well, I have all these things, but I don't have points D, E, and F, but I have like every single other thing of these 30 points. Like they might say, oh, I'm not for the job because right. I need to fit it. Um, and so 
I don't know how we change that. Uh, I know that just talking to people younger, exposing them to these careers, making them know that there is a place for them. And and then also talking to the universities, like I, was, I have good relationships with a few uni- universities around here and just talking to them about the curriculum that they need to offer to make their their um, students employable by, mm-hmm. by a company like us is also really helpful. So I guess it's a, a long effort, but uh, talking to them in middle school might help yeah. me 15 years down the road. Yeah. And just, and just, I don't mean selling them, but casting a vision that says this is male or female, do you want to be part of making something like mm-hmm. this? Do you want to be part of protecting each other? Do you want to be part of helping like, However you do that to cast a vision, mm-hmm. and then wh- whatever your predisposition then is, um, pursue that. When I was a kid, we had, um, I don't even know, I think they called it home economics, but everybody had to go through wood shop, me- male and female, uh, metal shop, sewing, cooking. I remember, um, I think this was more just being a kid. I don't think this was any gender or whatever, but I was like, I don't want to cook. And my buddy was like, we get to eat our food. Sign me up. But we got exposed to all these things. My wife, when she went through it, she learned she loves to weld. She loves to woodwork. She loves to um, not so much work on cars, but she's mechanically inclined. If we've got small fiddly bit puzzle solving to do with little mechanical things, She's the one who's in charge of that. Mm-hmm. If we've got to figure out colors, just her brain and how she solves puzzles, she would never know that if she just stuck with in her school back in the very early 80s that said, well, if you're a woman, you kind of go down this track. Mm-hmm. And if you're a guy, you kind of go down this track. Um, I don't think there was any malice intended, but the unintended consequence was a lot of smart, capable people didn't discover, in many cases, until right. it was too late, the things they were really good at and really uh, led to their flourishing. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It really is all about exposure at a young age to yeah. just know that it's possible. Well, we are at maybe even a little over time. Before we go, if you've got just a couple more minutes, future. Like, what's the next big that you're super excited about? I can see in the next five years... In this tech, it's going to be what? What's the big? The the tech I am most excited about in the next few years is a crossover device, TBD, don't know what it's going to be, uh-huh. um, that will allow you to do VR and AR in one. So some of the devices are already starting to have these outer cameras. Um, they're still kind of heavy. They are a full headset, but having a smaller, more glasses-like capability or a glasses-like device that you can wear, it can completely occlude your vision when you want it to and be in VR, and then it can completely have transparent lenses or cameras that show you the outside world and have these AR overlays. That's that's what I think is going to be next. Mm. Um, I'm hoping it will be in the next five years. When do we all end up in pods like in the Matrix? That may or may not be in our lifetime. (laughs) Although if our life expectancy expands, maybe so. Hey, the world's trying to get our consciousness under silicone. Conversation for another day. Annie, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's been a great conversation, and uh, I look forward to our next one. Absolutely. All right. And if you've enjoyed the show, please like, share, subscribe, and comment. We'll see you next time. See you, everybody.